This is Real Estate Rookie episode 275. So you, you get this first deal. You seem to do really well with it, right? You, you have this amazing first deal using other people's capital. How many total investment deals have you done since that first one? So I own four and I'm under contract on two right now. One of which I have already assigned. I assigned it the same day I went under contract. Went under contract at 1236 because it was last week. 1236 at 932 or 925, 925. I assigned it for a $50,000 profit. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Ricky Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we give you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And uh, today, I would love to shout out someone by the username of Mona CC. Mona loves to say five-star review on Apple Podcasts. She says... Love it with an exclamation mark. Thank you for sharing all the great information. Uh, the stuff that you share is so down to earth and it makes real estate investing seem achievable. I'm two years into my investment track and I don't miss an episode. Um, and she just says that she loves we could do an episode about some spouse works and things like that. But she says, thanks again for the amazing podcast. So Mona, we appreciate you. And for all of our rookies that are listening, uh, if you can, please take the like 37 seconds that it takes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The more reviews we get, uh, the more folks we can reach. And the more folks we reach, the more folks we can help, which is what we love doing here. But I'm, I'm super excited for, for today's episode. Like this is honestly, Ash, is probably one of my more favorite episodes that we've done. Um, I loved Ava Jurgens. I, I don't know which episode she was, but just she was such a young hustler. But Mike is like, he is the epitome of what is that saying? It's like, um, I, I find that the harder I work, the luckier I get. Like, I don't know what the exact saying is, but there, you know, there's like a quote out there about like people who work hard tend to get luckier. And Mike is like the, the total epitome of that happening. Like he's found private money. He's found partners. He's found deals like all because of like, he just happens to be at the right place at the right time, but it's all because of how hard he's working to make that thing happen. Yeah. And I think something that I realized from that was that these were all in scenarios where he was working. It wasn't like, oh, I'm, and you know, we love meetups. We love networking events too. Those are great. And you're going to make connections that way, but it wasn't any of those scenarios. It was all him taking action and working on his business when these things happened. Um, so I, I, I think it's really awesome to listen to those things too. Um, and Ava's episode was episode 271. So if you guys missed it, you can go back. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777.
Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So uh, before we bring Mike on, um, I just want to highlight too that one of the the great things about this episode is the the private money and the OPM using other people's money and how Mike unintentionally got somebody to offer to be his private money lender. So listen to what he did to provide value to this person without even thinking that this person would offer him money in the end. So, well, let's give you the official welcome to the show, Mike. Yeah. Welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, brother. Thank you so much. Um, I'm truly honored. Well, we're so glad to have you here. And can you kind of tell us just a little bit of your backstory and who you are? I am from Clayton, North Carolina, a little town outside of Raleigh. I recently made the transition down to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Um, and I got invested or started in my investing journey in 2020. It's a great time to start. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And what made you start then? What was that kind of moment that happened for you? I'm not sure if it was an epiphany or kind of a come to Jesus talk with myself, but I hit that crossroad where... I was like, okay, I can keep going down this path that I've been on and I'm going to get the same results or I can change the game up and see if I can better my life. Um, I was not somebody who was big into finances. I honestly was a day by day type of guy, like paycheck to paycheck. I'll figure it out eventually. Um, and then 2020 happened. I think I can accredit a lot of it to a good buddy of mine, Caleb Kennedy. Um, he was the first person that I ever had like a finance talk with and he made being frugal look cool. Um, instead of going out and on the weekends and stuff, he's like, Mike, nah, he's like, he showed me, I believe it was his Robin hood account and it had a very significant amount of money in there. And I knew at the time we made about the exact same money a year and my account didn't look anything like his. So I was like, man, how'd you do that? He's like, I'm cheap. I don't spend money. Yeah. Mike, I, I, I love that story because you said he made being frugal look cool. And that is like such an antithesis to like what society uh, kind of promotes. And, you know, me and a friend were talking the other day 
And it's like, there's so many people on social media who have these big followings. And a big part of the reason their followings are so big is because they're, they're posting, you know, wads of cash and I got this and I got that. And that's just like, not my personality. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not like a flashy person like that, but that's what a lot of people were drawn to for whatever reason. But I think if we can all do a better job of like normalizing frugality and making that the cool thing and exactly what you said, where it wasn't necessarily the car that he was driving. It wasn't necessarily, you know, him going out on the weekends and all these crazy things. What really impressed you the most about him was his Robinhood account. And imagine if all of us had to walk around with like our net worth or our, or our Robinhood account numbers floating on top of our head and people seeing that as opposed to the clothes we wear, or the, or the cars that we drive, or the neighborhoods that we live in. 100%. I think that was, I mean, it was a game changer for me um, because I was one of those people. I drove a BMW and like, you know, it was literally paycheck to paycheck. I never thought about my retirement. I never thought about, Hey, if I have kids, it's going to cost two, three, $4,000 a month. I'm not saving two, three, $4,000 a month. So what am I going to do? And, um, so that was in February of 2020. I was like, well, I'm going to be cheap. And I eliminated as many bills as possible. I started tracking every single penny that I spent. How were you tracking that, Mike? Were you using like Excel, a, an app or something like that? The good old fashioned way, pen and paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. No way. <laughs> yes, sir. Yep. I have books now. Um, so I literally just started writing down everything that I spent and, uh, each month I would try and improve it. Okay. I spent this much on gas. I spent this much on food. Let's see if I can knock a little bit of this off. And at the time I was still bodybuilding. So my food was very basic. So I'd go and try and find the cheapest chicken. I'd try and find the cheapest rice. I'd buy it in bulk, you know, 20, 40 pound bags of rice. Um, I cut vegetables out. I was like, man, I just need protein and carbs and fats. So sorry, the greens ain't working no more. <laughs> so, um, and just made it as cheap as possible when I started paying off debt because I did have some, some credit card debt, I had that car, which I ended up selling, getting rid of when the, uh, when the economy went crazy and like car used car values went up. I didn't have to pay anything to get out of it because at, at the time, I think I owed twenty six, twenty seven thousand dollars $27,000 on a car, which was now I look back, I'm like, Jesus, Mike, if you just had the money you spent back then, you'd never have to work a day in your life. But, <laughs> um, so that, that was that February. And I did not own, I'd never even thought about buying a house. I, um, as bad as it seems, I didn't think I'd ever be able to, because I, I didn't keep up with my credit. Um, I used to be ashamed of all this, but now I look back and I, I'm proud of it because it, it led me to where I am today. And Mike, just really quick, I don't think you should ever be ashamed of that, right? It's like every, every person has like a backstory and none of us would be who we are today without that backstory. So there is a high possibility that you wouldn't be on this podcast with us right now, having this conversation, if it wasn't for those decisions that you made and, and what you feel were mistakes, if those mistakes didn't happen. So I, I think there's always a lesson to be learned. But just one thing I just want to ask before we keep moving. So you, you went on this journey to like radically reduce your, your monthly spend. Like, you don't have to tell us the exact numbers, but just like, were you able to cut it in half? Were you, was it like a 25% decrease? Like how much were you able to bring down your expenses over that time frame? Uh, probably a little over probably $2,500 a month. Wow. Um, yeah, that's what I was able to save per month after 
Um, so I reduced it by $2,500 a month. And let me, yeah, let me, let me ask another question, Ash. I want to, I want to ask this to you. Um, and then Mike, we can go to you afterwards, but there, there's always this debate, um, in the world of personal finance. Uh, like you, you hear someone like Grant Cardone who says, don't worry about saving money, just worry about exploding your income. Um, and then there are people like Dave Ramsey on the opposite end of the spectrum who say, stop buying that $5 coffee every day. Um, where, where do you fall actually? Like, where do you think is like the, the right balance to kind of strike between those two extremes? I think the, it's more of the mindset for that $5 coffee. It's not the $5 coffee that's going to make you save money and build wealth and have that financial freedom and to, or to pay off debt that that's not going to make a huge impact on your debt, but it's that mindset that you're willing to be frugal, that you're willing to give up things and giving up that $5 coffee will make you realize other things that you're able to give up to save money. And as far as the like exploding your income part of it, when I was paying off my personal debt, which was student loans and farm equipment, basically in a line of credit on my house, the, what we did was invest in rental properties and use the cash flow. And for years, my cash flow just went to paying off of debt. And I never took any money out of the rental properties. Um, so I think that there is that, that other huge debate as to, do you pay off your debt first and then invest, or do you invest simultaneously? How does that work? So I think it's very different for every person, but that's what worked for me is using other people's money to buy the properties and just using the cash flow to to pay off debt. Mike, what about for you? You went on this radical journey to reduce your expenses. Did you also focus on, I mean, obviously you did, right? That's why you're on the podcast, but how did you make the transition from saving everything to now pouring that into like building your income? Well, I knew real estate was, was the way out. Um, it was about that time in 2012, actually it hadn't gotten till the end of the year. Um, cause I set a goal that February, I said, by the end of this year, I'm going to buy a house. Um, so I was eliminating debt, improving my credit score, saving money. I paid off all those credit cards, um, paid off a ton of debt. And December 30th of 2020 is when I closed on my first ever house. And um, I utilized the first time homeowners loan. So 0% down, just pay closing costs. And I already had that mindset of, okay, what am I going to do with this property to make me money? Uh, I'd heard of flipping houses. I'd heard, you know, I have friends that had rental properties and stuff, but I still hadn't started digging into it. Um, but I, the house was built in 1998. Um, it was outdated. So I was like, look, I know I can add some value to this. I could do new floors, new paint, new everything. And it'll make it worth more property. And the neighborhood that it's in is immaculate golf course neighborhood. Um, when I was growing up, I called it the rich kid neighborhood. Uh, so I was proud of that. <clears throat> and, um, I knew I was going to do something with it after, but it was during that process that I started learning about real estate. Um, when I was closing on that house, I stumbled upon bigger pockets and I was like, Oh, financial freedom. Cause I, you know, I started saving money and everything, paying off debt, but I'd never heard the, t- the term financial freedom before. And the thought of something else paying for my bills, it just resonated. I was like, okay, I took every bit of energy that I had that I was putting into bodybuilding um, and focused it on real estate. It was a complete, well, see you later. I'm going down this path now Um, because I'm the type that if I like something, I want to learn as much as I can about it. I just obsess about it. 
And it was, I just started learning so much. And I knew right then I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to get to that place in life. I want to buy real estate. Um, so 2020 got closed in my house, December 30th, 2021 starts. And that is when I was like, I still didn't know a lot about real estate. I didn't know about private money. I didn't know how to structure deals, do creative finance, wholesaling, any of that stuff yet. Um, so that's when I, I was like, all right, how can I save more money faster? And I stumbled upon the vending machines. I was looking at different asset classes. I looked at ATMs, um, vending machines, you know, um, like online businesses and vending machines stuck out because of the cash on cash return. Um, I met a guy. So I bought my first location at a car dealership from a friend of mine. It made like three, $400 a month and I paid $4,200 for it. So about a 10% return on your money. So I do that for like, three months or so, but these were really old machines and they couldn't utilize credit card readers. So I flipped those, ended up selling that location for $5,000, took that 5,000. I was like, okay, I'm going to buy a couple more machines, but cheaper. And find, so I ended up meeting this guy, older guy that lived in town. And that was what he did full time. He had 110 machines running at the time. He was making really good money off of it. Um, and he's like, Mike, I got one location that does $800 a day. What? Wow. And I was like, what? $800 a day for a vending machine? He had, <clears throat> so check out this setup. This was incredible. He found a farm that was 15 miles away from a, um, anything, no gas stations, anything like that. So all the farm hands that would get shipped in there to work on the farm, they lived off the vending machines. I think he had like six or seven out there. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. And that's, I've thought about vending machines. You see people post about them on social media and it might be like a great thing for my kids to get involved with, but that's what I've always struggled with is finding the location of the vending machine. Um, so I, I love this strategy that you've got your first property and then you're also looking for other ways to kind of supplement your income. Were you working at this time and did you have a W2? What were you doing besides the bodybuilding? Yes, ma'am. I was working full time. So I, um, I've been in the pharmaceutical industry since 2014. Um, I was a what's called quality investigator, but basically it's a glorified technical writer when any, um, they had any systemic issues or product issues. I had to justify to the FDA that we had our standards in place, that our SOPs were good and that we could, um, it would not affect the product in any way. Um, so I've been doing that since 2014. And then, yeah, on top of that, I was coaching wrestling too. So I was <laughs> investing, coaching, bodybuilding, doing all this stuff at once. Let me ask you this question because I've been, this is out of my own curiosity because I think sometimes people struggle to make this connection. So I want to ask you, are there skills that you acquired from your W2 job that translated over to real estate that you think, because like the word that stuck out to me was SOPs, like that can really help you in your real estate business is creating those, you know, standard operating procedures, building those systems and processes. So did something like that or other things from your pharmaceutical job, which you would not think, you know, has anything to do with real estate? Were there some things, some, you know, 
tasks that you would do or skills that you had learned that have helped you with your real estate business? Oh, 100%. Um, besides like the standard operating procedures, I think it was the way that I had to write and talk um, throughout my drafts that transferred over to how I talk to people like sellers when I'm trying to buy a property. Um, and then I systemize how I go after these properties also. Um, that with and the structure, I think the structure of it all, um, I'm very quality mindset. So my business is run that way. Um, I want to be able to provide the best. And then pharma, you have to do the same thing. You have to provide, everything has to be identical. So I try and I try and emulate that with my business. So it transferred very well. I want everyone listening now that maybe thinks that their job doing whatever, you know, won't translate to real estate in any, any reason. Look at Mike as an example. And he took his pharmaceutical job and has taken skills from that for his real estate. So just take the time after this episode to write down maybe three things that you do now in your day job that can help you with real estate investing. One of those things might even be that it's just a W-2 that can help you get that first loan, that first mortgage. So Mike, you had mentioned that you did a first time home buyer loan. Can you maybe talk about that a little bit. We hear a lot about an FHA loan where it's three and a half percent down. What was kind of different about your loan that you did zero percent down? It was zero percent down, and they just offered a. Uh, I think you had to pay a print or a mortgage insurance on it. So every month is like eighty, ninety dollars extra a month. But if you look at the in, or you compare it, yeah, long term it might be a little bit more expensive. But instead of putting that three and a half percent down, or ten percent, or twenty percent down for a conventional loan, that saved me a ton of capital up front. That and I used whatever I had left to buy vending machines to create more capital. Yeah, Mike, you've done a great job of, and this is what we were talking about of of kind of attacking it from both sides, where you went after this this uh, kind of debt reduction journey uh, to kind of bring down and, and save more money. But then you also focus on, okay, how can I create more income? So you got the first property, you got into it for a relatively small amount, then you go into the um, into the vending machine business. So j- just for, for clarity's sake, Mike, that, that first property, um, since it was owner occupied, were you able to generate revenue from that property or was that one just as your own primary residence? That was my primary residence. Um, I I had thought about doing some house hacking and renting it out, but I was like, yeah, I don't know. I was I was making pretty decent money. Um, and at the time there was, I was in a relationship, so she was living there also. Um, and we didn't want like roommates. Yeah, no, totally understand. Yeah, I got a, I got a wife and kids too. I don't know if I want uh, want roommates either. So, at what point did you say, okay, let, let's get that first investment property? And what did that journey look like? So, twenty twenty one was my basically my education year. Um, I don't know. I might have had a little bit of uh, analysis paralysis, but um, I wanted to learn as much as possible, and I knew getting into it, uh, I was going to hire a coach that I was going to spend the money to find somebody that's been in the game and kind of get underneath their wing and, you know, learn as much as possible. So I don't make a ton of mistakes. And, uh, I was watching the podcast. So I would literally, it was a 45 minute drive to work for me one way. So in the mornings I would watch the bigger pockets podcast. And then I stumbled upon the, the rookie podcast and it changed my, my life completely. 
So that was an hour and a half I was spending a day educating myself. And uh, one of the podcasts, a guy by the name of Pace Morby was on there and he spoke to me. Um, I knew right then I wanted to hire as a coach and, and get into his mentoring program. And I did. So that was on November 14th that I heard the podcast because I listened to it that morning. I listened to it on the way home that afternoon. And then two days later, I joined up on his sub two community. Um, that really skyrocketed my education. Um, I felt confident in my skills from everything I learned in there. So that was tw- November of 2021. Well, April. So at that point I started telling people, okay, I'm getting into the real estate game. I'd got my real estate license during that time because I thought that that would help me, you know, find investments and stuff, which is a completely different game that I've now realized. Um, and I just started having the conversations. Um, everybody I knew that had rental properties, I was blowing them up. Okay. how did you find this? How did you finance it? How did you, um, how do you find off-market deals? How do you tell how much equity is in the property? What's an ARV? What's a comp? You know, I'm trying to learn as much as possible and talking to these people that have already done it. April, I think it was April 15th, April 16th, I get a text. It's from my buddy Seth Brown. Hey, check this out with an address. And I look at it, and it's a little duplex built in the 1960s. I was like, okay, what's up? He goes, I think this lady might sell. I was like, well, ask her if I can call her. Um, so I picked up, that was on a Wednesday, picked up the phone, called her. She said she was willing to sell. I said, okay, Friday, I'm going to come um, check out the property. If it's in decent shape, I would love to buy it from you. We could discuss the price. She goes, yeah, that's fine. So that Friday I drive to Lexington. It's about two hours away from where I was living. And I picked up my first property. So, Mike, Mike, we we got to pause here, man, because this is uh, there's a lot of good things that that we got to dive into. So, um, first, I don't even know if you realize this, but one of the things you said really stuck out to me is is that you you started telling everyone around you that you were a real estate investor. You didn't have any deals yet, right? You you hadn't closed on anything, but you started to identify as a real estate investor. And I think that mental switch is one of the most important things that our rookie audience can 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 kind of take away from what you just said is that until you adopt the mindset, until you adopt the identity that you are a real estate investor, it's hard to really step into those shoes. And lo and behold, Mike, as soon as you kind of made that mental transition to say, all right, I am a real estate investor. Now you've got your, your friends reaching out to you saying, oh, wait, Mike's looking for deals. Let me show this to Mike. And that one little interaction leads to your first deal. So again, if, if there's one piece of advice for our rookie audience, it's even if you don't have that first deal, share with everyone you know that you are a real estate investor now, that you are looking for deals, that you are looking to invest because you never know who they may know and you don't know who the people that they know who they know. So there's this you know, th- this large community that you end up tying yourself into. <laughs> When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best-selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
from the launch stage to the first order stage to the, did we just sell out the whole store stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms? And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. And that's why we chose Shopify for the Bigger Pockets bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash bprookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash bprookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash bprookie. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So tell us about that first deal, Mike. Like, I, I don't want to brush past this. Like, were you able to use creative financing to secure that deal? Was it something else? Like, walk us through how you kind of funded and put that, put that deal together. So I got extremely lucky because this was a home run. I'm talking Mark McGuire, 1998 home run. Out the park, okay? So I go talk to the lady. Super sweet. It was great. Um, and I just, I cut to the chase. I said, bam. How much would you like for this property? What do you think is a fair price for this property? She goes, Mike, I'd take 60000 She paid 30000 for it like 20 years ago. Um, but I guess we got to backtrack for a second. The reason he called me, my buddy Seth, who is my business partner on that, that uh, deal, he works for a company that they go in and fix foundations, crawl spaces and foundations. So he was there giving her a quote on how much it would cost to get the foundation because it was sagging a little bit. Um, 
it needed a decent amount of work. And she's like, I don't have that kind of money for that. And he goes, well, I know somebody that might buy this as is. And he called, you know, sends me the text, go from there. So I ended up getting it under contract for 65,000 because I purchased an easement to the right of the property that she also owned. Um, We put $17,000 into the foundation which we were able to finance out over a year because he worked for the company. So we didn't have to come out of pocket with that. We also put $5,200 into just uh, updating one of the units, painting it, you know, fixing some, some of the minor stuff in there. And we split that 50, 50, everything on this property, we split 50, 50. Um, and then I went about finding the money to pay for it. Uh, Cause I wanted to do a burr on the property. So me talking to everybody about, you know, I'm a real estate investor, even though I hadn't done a deal, uh, a friend of mine's dad reached out to me one day. He's extremely successful. He's, he's now a mentor to me, extremely successful owns. I think he's right at 30 doors. So he's, he's the guy I see myself wanting to emulate. Um, he calls me out of the blue one Saturday. Hey, Mike, meet me at this coffee shop. I was like, yes, sir. I show up and he goes, look, look, man, I've seen what you've been doing. Um, he goes, I'm going to let you, I'm going to loan you a hundred thousand dollars. He's like, you're going to pay me 6% and use that to get started. So I, um, it was awesome. That was the, that was a game changer for me. Was this a handshake deal? Did you guys actually put together, you know, a, a loan agreement or anything like that? And Maybe kind of give us an insight of to that conversation of, you know, talking about doing the lending. Were there certain requirements he had or was this like the easiest thing you've ever done? Um, it was really easy. He already had paperwork drawn up for it. Um, so he wanted 6% on it. And then it was just, uh, I think he I put him in first position on the note so that in case something happened and I wasn't able to get the money out, then I wanted to back him because he's, he's a friend also. Um, he wasn't just a private money lender. Um, but it was, it was extremely easy. Um, it kind of came out of left field and, you know, hold, hold on, Mike, I, w- I want to give you a little bit more credit because maybe the, <laughs> maybe that conversation was easy, but everything up until that point wasn't right. And, and I, I just don't want our rookie audience to get stuck on the fact and say, Oh, well, Mike had a friend who gave him a hundred thousand dollars. Like he's special. Right. But, but no, it's like everything you did to get you to that point is the hard work that most people aren't willing to do. Right. Like this, this person saw you hustling to reduce your expenses. This person saw you hustling to build relationships. This person saw you find a really great deal, which takes hard work and work out the numbers so that it's a home run. So th- there's a lot that goes into it. So I, like, I don't, I don't want you to shortchange yourself there. Yeah. And there was, there was a lot that happened up to that point. Also, when I was getting my real estate license, I called him out of the blue and I was like, Hey, do you mind if we meet for lunch? Yep. We meet. And I was like, I want to do business with you. I, any way that I can help market you, I'm going to do it. Teach me what you need to teach me. And you know, every deal that I get from my real estate license, you're my mortgage guy. Cause that's what he does is mortgages. Um, and we had a lot of conversations in between those points. And I also went out and found deals for him. So I would shoot him a deal. Hey, what do you think about this? Uh, you know, it's not for me, but they, you know, and then a couple of them, you know, are ones he wanted to pick up. So I provided value to his life. 
That I right there, that was before he offered you the money. Correct. Yeah. So that is such a great key element to our listeners and just showing how you went and you provided value first. It wasn't you asking for money for him to lend to you. You taking those steps steps led up to that moment where he came to you to lend you money. And I think that's a uh, very important to mention and just a, a awesome awesome strategy to make a connection with someone and to, to make it genuine. Like you honestly wanted to provide value to him by sending him deals, doing, you know, loans with him, things like that. And I think that's probably a big reason as to why he did want to lend to you. I agree. And he knew I respected him a lot. Um, he's like I said, he's a mentor to me. He's just somebody that I want to be like, and every time I saw him, I was asking him questions. Okay, how does this happen? How do I do this? Um, he's just taught me a lot. And that day, he really he skyrocketed my my finance or my real estate career. Isn't it crazy how one conversation can can have that impact and and kind of change everything? And I, I want to go back to the deal, Mike, because um, and this is this is something I've never really thought about doing. Ash, I don't know if you have, but you guys found this deal because the the current owner didn't have the capital, didn't have the know-how to solve the foundation issues. And to them, it was easier to just give the property away as opposed to them doing it themselves. It's like, Ash, I wonder, like, what if we just started a campaign where we just looked for all the houses across America that have foundation issues? Like, How many off-market great deals do you think we could find if we were able to go to a seller and say, hey, don't worry about fixing the foundation. We're going to buy it from you as is. You could probably get a ton of off-market deals that way. Oh, Definitely. And it would have, see, we didn't have to pay full price either mm -hmm. because he worked for the company. So we got it at about 50% of what, you know, is the quote to the general public. So that saved us a ton. So right now, so that's $17,000, $65,000 purchase price, and then $5,000 um, in minor stuff. Mm -hmm. So ARV on that property, $140,000. So at 70%, that's 98,000. I hit a full burr, 100% clean burr. Awesome. Um, so that's what we did. I went and I borrowed the purchase price from my investor friend. Um, I paid him 6% up front, even though it was an annual, you know, 6%. I was like, nope, I want you to, I want, you know, I want you to have this up front. So you prepaid him for a year of interest. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. I don't think we've had anyone talk about that just to like kind of make it more secure or more advantageous than, you know, saying I'll make the payments to you is kind of, we always talk about how to sweeten the deal with a, a seller to get them to accept your offer, but that's a, a, a different unique strategy with a private money lender too. Was it, was it prepaid interest, Mike, or was it points that you paid up front? Like, was it, was it separate from your ongoing interest payments or, or was it actually just the interest? And you said, here it is up front. Just the interest here up front. Yeah. I wanted to provide value to him up front too and show, Hey, I'm here to do good business. Um, I want all of us to win. And that's how I am with all of my private money lenders. Now, um, I was able to get one private money lender literally off of Snapchat. He was a friend of mine. Uh, I posted one of the deals and he's like, are you doing that now? I was like, yeah. He's like, man, I've got a ton of cash that I need to, I need to invest. Um, let me know if you have any deals. Two days later, I give him a call. Hey, I got a deal. 
he sends me a check for $90,000 right after. That's it. I'm downloading Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> That's yep. where all the private money lenders are hanging out. I've been on the wrong platform this whole time. Yep. And I, I'm deleting I Instagram, him going to Snapchat. <laughs> yep. And I gave him a great deal. I gave him 40% of our net profit on that deal. So it was wow. like a one month turnaround. He made like, I think he's going to make like eight eighty five hundred dollars or something like that for a one month turnaround. So where are you going to find, you know, something paying that well? Mike, I want to talk about the rehab, uh, about these, doing the rehab on these properties. Did you have any experience in construction at all? And kind of maybe talk us through what you do for rehabs. Are you hiring general contractors? Are you using friends? Are you doing some of the work yourself? How are you, um, you know, you just said you did a you know, turned over a house in one month, that's pretty efficient. So what are some of the things that you're doing for rehabs? It depends on the property. Um, so that was the only one we've had foundation issues with. Um, and that's how we got in the door there. Um, I have made some mistakes along this journey. I'll be the first to say it. So have we all, <laughs> especially with the rehabs. <laughs> very expensive, very expensive yeah. mistakes. I made the mistake of thinking just because someone was a friend that they would do good business. Um, I had a couple of GCs that were, I, I at the time considered friends and they came in, did horrible work and it, it you know, set me backwards a lot. Um, I think if you're going to do it, you have to keep friendships and business completely separate and you have to treat them, you know, GC, it's, for me, it's been hard to find very reliable GCs. Um, I don't know how you guys' markets are, but where I'm at, it's just nobody takes pride in that work anymore. I feel like, um, and they can charge top dollar and I'll pay top dollar. I want quality work. That's my mindset. I want my, my properties to look incredible because I don't, they will never look like something I wouldn't live in. Um, and I expect that from anyone that works with me to give a hundred percent. And, um, I've had a couple situations where, cost me a lot of money. They came in, did I paid up front. Um, that's something I'll never do again for general contractors. Uh, twice I paid up front and they disappeared. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah. And you know, we talk about this all the time. It's like the, the entrepreneur in me wants to start like a GC company that focuses on, on real estate investors. And literally if I, if I'm just the one GC that like picks up the phone when the client calls, I'll already be in like the top 1% of the 1% of like all general contracting. Companies. Amen. Um, Mike, I, I wanted to, so you get this first deal. You seem to do really well with it, right? You, you have this amazing first deal using other people's capital. It seems like now you're, you're kind of building a relationship with private money lenders. So if we can just pause really quickly, how many, how many deals have you done since that? You know, you, you did the primary residence in 2020, then you did the, um, uh, the, the first duplex. How many total investment deals have you done since that first one? So I owned four and I'm under contract on two right now. One of which I have already assigned. I assigned it the same day I went under contract, went under contract at 1236 because it was last week, 1236 at 932 or 925, 925, I assigned it for a $50,000 profit. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. So you're, you're wholesaling now as well then, Mike. So you're, you're finding deals for yourself, but you're, you're wholesaling. So of the, of those four deals that you've kept so far, um, two of those, I know you, you use private capital to fund. What about the other two? How did you fund those two? Uh, private money. Yeah. So this one, so the two I have under contract right now, we're just going to turn and burn. 
we're just going to wholesale those out because we'll make a good chunk of change. Like that one $50,000 profit. The other one's not as lucrative. It's only like 10,000, but we're trying to stack it up right now because we don't want to continue to have to go out to private money lenders. Um, we feel like in the next six months to a year, we're going to just stick in the wholesale realm and then maybe do a couple flips. And yes, next year, get into a little more flips because we want to transition away from like single family homes and like duplexes and stuff. We want to get into the um, storage facility asset class. Um, and I personally want to buy a couple oceanfront condos for Airbnb um, for my own portfolio. But uh, right now it's just about stacking up capital. Um, I made the decision this past week that I was going into investing full time. So I, I've left my my W two. Congratulations, and, man! Thank you. We we got to get like a little bell that we can ring for our uh, our guests when they when they quit their job. You got you got that on the on the soundboard. I have my little soundboard. I don't know what any of the buttons are, so this is going to be a surprise as to what sound it makes. Run it. <laughs> oh, there we go. I, I act like I'm super happy, but guys, I'm so scared. <laughs> this is the first time since I was like 16 when I had a full time job, you know? Yeah, it definitely is a scary moment, right? And, and Ash and I have both gone through that transition over the last couple of years. And it, it definitely is, uh, I think, a, a scary moment. But once you realize that you're able to provide for yourself and provide for your family with your own. Um, not your own two hands, but you know, it's like with your own work, it, it it's almost this relieving sense because now you're not tied to what someone else thinks of your value. Exactly. Right now you're not tied to what someone else wants to pay you. And the upper limit of what you're able to earn is solely on, is squarely on Mike's shoulders, right? Or it's on Tony's shoulders or it's on Ashley's shoulders. And it's not on XYZ Corporation for them to say, mm, I feel like Mike is worth this much money. Mm, I feel like Ashley's worth this much money. Or Tony, you're going to get this much more money. It's 100% on you. So there is this fear, Mike, but do like once you kind of break through that fear, it's almost this liberating feeling because you realize you're in control. I can't wait. I, I mean, I just recently moved down here to the beach too. And there's something I've wanted my entire life since I was a kid. I was like, I have to live at the beach. And then back in December, I was like, you know what? I had a talk with a friend of mine, very successful. It just, he reminds me a lot of you guys, how positive and just uplifting type guys, like the ones that you just want to be around all the time. Well, we had a talk and he's like, Mike, like, I see where you're going. I know you want more in life. Like you got to get away. You have to just go somewhere, start over and just focus on this new life. And so back in December, I made the, made the jump and it's just been incredible since I've met some absolutely fantastic people here that are super successful in the real estate world. And they've taught me so much. Like I'm, a, I'm like Luke Rotvold on the phones now, like, that guy is an animal. So I'm just chasing him so hard right now. Um, and this is coming from a guy that I used to hate cold calling with a passion. Now I blast it a few hours a day, just going. Um, and it's from being around people that I've seen utilize that, that are, you know, my good friends, Kevin and Lance down here, they, um, you know, Lance does over a hundred deals a year. So that's something that I, I want in my life. I want those kind of numbers. Um, and it's just building that confidence. And when you've got the right circle, they'll help you build that confidence. Mike, I want to ask, what are some of the steps that you did to kind of decide that now was the right time to quit your job? And is there anything that you 
have to kind of prepare for now as to, you know, like the first thing I always think of is health insurance. What are people going to do for health insurance? So can you kind of talk us through some of the things that made you decide now is the time to quit? I think that deal I did last week, um, it was literally a nine hour deal. I got it under contract nine hours later, I dispoed it for 50,000 profit. I was like, Mike, if you just, if you were able to do this 40, 50, 60 hours a week, there's no telling how much you can make. Um, and just, I loved what I did. Um, I worked for some good people, but it wasn't my passion. And, uh, I just don't want to be 65 years old and look back and go, man, I wish I'd have just chased, give everything I could to, to real estate, to this, something I was passionate about, but with health, health insurance and stuff, um, you know, I've got a good amount of money saved up now. So I just, I, I guess I'm going to have to find a good policy to jump on. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't really thought about it yet. Um, Mike, I, I want to take us to our rookie request line, but before we do, I just wanted to ask one one final question about the the private money piece. Um, I guess two questions. First, what kind of rates are you offering to your private money lenders today, and has that shifted as you know the inflation has played an impact and the Fed's been raising interest rates? Have you seen your private money lenders asking for for higher rates? And then the the second question is, what documents do you typically use to kind of formalize that relationship? Uh, so we actually had a lawyer draft up something for the for the loan and the money. One um one of our deals, we didn't have any paperwork at all. It was just a purely a handshake. Um, but I try and pay them as well as I possibly can. Uh, because I want to establish like the, I want to establish the trust, the loyalty and show like, Hey, Mike knows what he's talking about. He just gave me a 15% return on my money in 60 days. Um, and we offer, we do something where we'll, we'll guarantee six months. So, okay. Say we got the money loan for 10%, um, on a hundred thousand dollars or whatever the amount is. We'll go, even if we turn this around in two to three months, you're getting paid for six months, no matter what. So it's beneficial to them. Um, and it just all really depends on the deal. I feel like, um, they have not been like my private money guys have not tried to you know, stiff me or try to, you know, go higher on the rates. I think they see that, you know, I'm going to pay them well. Um, so everybody's got, you know, there's enough food on this table for everybody to eat. And I want to make sure my guys are taken care of because then if I need something, I'm taken care of. So we've, uh, we've got really lucky with that. Um, we got one private money lender through another friend and, uh, it was all because, my business partner, Josh Cotton, was sitting at a coffee shop on his lunch break, cold calling. Okay. This lady walks up to him and goes, Sir, are you a wholesaler or an investor? She goes, He goes, Yes, ma'am, I am. She goes, That's funny because my husband does the exact same thing every night. You guys should meet. Well, we meet and just hit it off. It was awesome. Like, Mike, your story is so crazy, man. It's like there's all these kind of like serendipitous moments where it's like, it's literally the byproduct of you guys working hard. Like who goes on their lunch break to cold call? It's a very special type of person that does that, but that single action kind of creates this domino effect. It's, it's, it's the wildest thing, man. So if, if there's one thing that I would want the rookie audience to take away from your episode, Mike, it's that if you work hard enough, good things tend to happen. 
And you've proven that just like over and over and over again, man. So um, I want to take us to the the rookie request line here. So for all of our rookies that are listening, uh, you guys can always phone in your question. Just give us a call at 8885-ROOKIE. And uh, if your question is good enough, we might just use it on the show. So Mike, are you ready for today's question? Yes, sir. All right. So today's question comes from Andrew. And his question is, uh, my name is Andrew. I'm calling from New Jersey. And the question I have for you all basically is how you differentiate your entities I work with two partners and we have one specific entity that is carrying uh, almost everything. Um, everything is under one entity. When when investing people's money, private money lenders, or investing in off-market properties, I'm wanting to know if you guys differentiate those. Do you have two different types of entities? How do you handle that? Hope to hear your answers. Thank you so much for taking my call. So um, I, I guess the basic premise of that question is, Mike, so you have properties that you're holding, you have your wholesaling arm, you have partnerships. How are you structuring um, like between your entity, your partner's entities, and then the different activities in your business? I set them up in d- different LLCs. Every one of them is in a different LLC. So I've got, you know, the property with Seth, that's in one LLC. I've got our actual business, that's an LLC. And then I've got what we hold because I've got properties with Josh, my my one business partner, then with Seth. So we have different LLCs for that too. Um, I just separate everything completely. And then with my own personal portfolio, that will go into its, its own LLC. Ash, should look pretty similar for you too, right? Yeah. Each partner has a different LLC. Each business has a different LLC, like the development and the rehab has its own business, even though it works on the properties that are owned in one of the rental LLCs. Yeah. It keeps the numbers easier. I feel like. Oh, Totally. And, and, you know, just like we separate all of our active income from our passive incomes, like all of our rentals are in one set of LLCs, all of our active income from like our flips and our events and our coaching program and all the other like active things that we do is in a separate LLC. So, um, yeah, it can get pretty crazy with the uh, entity stuff. So Andrew from New Jersey, because if I have one piece of advice to you, I would go talk to a good CPA and go talk to a good attorney in your state and kind of give them the, the layout and the breakdown of, of your business and the different things that you do. And they should be able to kind of help you um, set things up in the right way. And I would get them if you can on the same call too. Totally. That's like the best. Yeah. Okay. So Mike, we are moving on to our rookie exam. The first question is, what is one actionable thing rookies should do after listening to this episode? Uh, go out and talk about it. Have those conversations. Tell your friends, tell your family, you know, I want to get into this. I want to become a real estate investor. Um, And then the next thing is hire a coach. Save yourself a ton of time and hire a coach. Um, There's always going to be somebody that's better than you at everything in life, no matter what. So why waste the time, you know, making all of these mistakes when you can just go hire a coach and Eliminate it. Question number two, Mike, what's one tool, software, app, or system that you use in your business? Mojo Dialer. That is my bread and butter. I love Mojo. Can you can you explain what Mojo is, Mike, for folks that aren't familiar with that software? It's the system that you use to cold call. Um, I've got a triple line dialer on there, so I'll, I'm able to call three numbers at once. And then if one ha- picks up, it hangs up the other two, just so you can get as many calls in as possible. Yeah, Mojo's fantastic. I've, I've only, I, I, I was trying to set up a wholesaling arm like early last year. Um, so we had Mojo for a little while. And yeah, the, the way that you're able to like, you know, run through all those numbers in a relatively quick period of time is is pretty crazy. Okay. And our last question for the rookie exam is where do you plan on being in five years? I want to be on the beach 
all day long, <laughs> relaxing, letting my passive income pay for everything. Um, my goal is to personally, at, at 40, I want to say I'm getting up, I'm going to work because I want to, not because I have to. I think that right there is something that will resonate with a lot of people. Um, and that really does change your life. And there's the, you know, the fire community where it's, um, financial independence, retire early. But when most people get to that point, they don't actually want to retire because they want to work at some passion project or, you know, (laughs) you know, keep working at something that excites them and fills them with, you know, joy and passions. Okay. Well, Mike, Thank you so much for coming on with us. Can you let everyone know where they can reach out to you and find some more information about you? Yeah. Uh, so we have a small Instagram page called Valiant Acquisitions LLC. And then I have my personal page. It's Larson910 on Instagram. Okay, cool. Well, we really appreciate you coming on, sharing all of your information. Definitely added a lot of value. So we appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, guys. This means a lot to me. I'm Ashley at Wealthform Rentals. He's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. And we will be back on Saturday with a rookie reply. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.